Master Luke, sir, it's so good to see you fully functional again. Thanks, Luke. Arto expresses his relief also. How you feeling, kid? Yeah. Don't look so bad to me. Mm -hmm. He looks strong enough to pull ears off a gun dart. Mm -hmm. Thanks to you. That's two you owe me, Junior. Mm -hmm. Well, your worship, looks like you managed to keep me around for a little while longer. I had nothing to do with it. General Rykin thinks it's dangerous for any ships to leave the system until we've activated the energy field. That's a good story. I think you just can't bear to let a gorgeous guy like me out of your sight. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. Laugh <laughs> it up, fuzzball. But you didn't see us alone in the South Passage. She expressed her true feelings for me. What? Why, you stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder. Who's scruffy-looking? Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair Podcast. This is episode number 495, Why We Love the Empire Strikes Back. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Admiral Piet to my General Riken, we have Carl LeClaire. Oh, I love being a beautiful British man. <laughs> and I'll be a British man with a... American voiceover artist in the snow. <laughs> perfect, 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 perfect. Um, Jason, we are five episodes out from 500, which is a hell of a milestone for podcasts in general. There are very few podcasts out there that have hit a milestone like that. And in order to celebrate that, we are uh, kind of just marching to the episode 500 by looking over... Um, our combined top five Star Wars movies for the next several weeks. So when we were yeah. together uh, back in October, you know, in Phoenix, hanging out, I was like, Jason, wouldn't it be fun if we sat down and did our combined list and see what our top five Star Wars movies are? And that's exactly what we did. We we wrote down all of our Star Wars ranking. We ranked all the movies for ourselves on our own and then combined them for our combined top five um, yes. and, uh, and that's what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks is looking at our favorite star Wars movies for you and I together, Jason, and talking about yes. why we love these movies, um, so very much. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to, you know, put these lists together, uh, see where, where we totally agreed on some of these, see where we differed on some of these, um, and I think the biggest disparity was actually this one, yeah. because obviously, you know, The Empire Strikes Back is your favorite movie. It was one, two, three, four, five. Six. It was seventh for me, <laughs> uh, which, yeah. of course, doesn't mean I don't love it, because obviously I do. Uh, but it was the biggest difference. But because uh, between the two of us, because of that, it's it's still made since it was still your number one. It still made mm. our top five here, which uh is why we're starting with it today. Right. So I would have quit, I'm very excited about I would have quit March, the podcast so. if it didn't somehow make the list. I would have just been like, sorry, Jason, we're done. I, we're, we won't make 500. I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> you ranked Empire too low. <laughs> I know, I know. It would have been it would have been terrible. It would have been terrible. It's just like, that's it. We're done. <laughs> we're done. No episode 500. Thank you, uh we'll see you see you some other time, folks. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's funny though, because the remaining four, so the next few weeks after today we had a tremendous amount of crossover and, and uh, yes. I, I'm excited to, to get into those each week. So you'll just have to stay tuned for wh where the rest of them lie. If, if you have been a regular listener, I don't think anything is going to surprise you after today. Um, but no. uh, yeah, we're just, we're just really excited for whether you're a relatively new uh, member of the Wampus Lair community, or if you've been here since day one, 
we're so excited to just journey with you to to a milestone episode by just looking at some of these Star Wars movies that we both love so much. And we kind of challenged ourselves rather than because initially we were just going to do like a top five moments. But uh, we were having a conversation a couple weeks ago and kind of came to the conclusion of like, well, let's let's change it up a bit and just talk about kind of a more general reasons why we love these movies. So things both in universe and out of universe. Why is it these particular movies have stuck with us so much and why do we find them so endearing? Um, and, and hopefully as we have these conversations, you who are listening, uh, will think about wh- why these movies in particular work for you. And hopefully you'll share with us some of the reasons you also love these particular movies. Um, but frankly, Jason, while, while of course, Empire is <laughs> the lowest on our list, even though it's my favorite movie of all time, I kind of love that we get to kick kick off this series with Empire Strikes Back. It makes me really happy that we're yeah. starting with this one. Yeah, I, it's one of those things where, you know, you, we talk about Empire a lot at the podcast because it is your favorite. And we use a lot of examples and a lot of discussions about it. Uh, but I haven't sat down and actually watched Empire all the way through in a while. You know, so mm-hmm. it was I was really glad that we we got to do this because it meant I got to sit down and, and rewatch the movie again uh, over the weekend. And it was it was really nice. It was like coming home and seeing an old friend after mm-hmm. a long time. It's like, oh, I remember this. This is so great. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I said, it, it's it was number seven on my favorites list, which is a, a, a tough list to make. I hate making those ranking lists because they are so <laughs> difficult. Um, especially in certain areas, but I, it was one of those things where I was very, very happy that we got to talk about it because it is, it is such a rich movie and it has so much in it that, uh, we could talk about and we're only going to, you know, scratch the surface on some of these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, we could, we could do three or four episodes of why we love the empire strikes back and not repeat ourselves because it is that rich of a movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, it's funny. I, as you were saying that you, you know, you watched it over the weekend and it, it's been a minute since you've watched it. Um, I knew this is what we were doing first. So I have watched, I've watched empire strikes back four times in the last two weeks. Uh, I, and I did, my original VHS version. Then I did my special edition VHS version. Then I did the Blu-ray, and then today I did the blue. Uh, I did the DVD, and then today I did the Blu-ray. It was just fun to like watch the different incarnations. Um, but I was also thinking, as you were saying that, Jason, all the times we hang out, we love to watch Star Wars together, usually in the evening or you know have it on in the background. But we've always, pretty much always stayed in the prequel era and i'm not i'm not shading it i love watching the prequels with you so much but it just reminded me next time we hang out we should we'll have to do some original trilogy stuff because i don't know that we should watch the original trilogy together in person uh i think we we've we've seen bits and pieces of them at At celebration celebration. together yep Yep. yeah but that's it but that's it but not a whole movie yep together so So, uh challenge accepted for our next next hangout yeah Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Well, enough of us dilly dallying. Uh, Let's go ahead and and dive into why we actually love The Empire Strikes Back. Um, And since it's your favorite movie, I'm going to go ahead and start so that you have the last word. Um, (laughs) Fair enough. Well, I'll say this right now. I I, I started with my like favorite things and and kind of actually went in a decreasing order. But um, I I like it. Let's do it. Go ahead. Okay. well, the, one of the first the first things I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a start with a specific moment here, and this is the the scene where Palpatine speaks to Vader. The Emperor and Vader have their conversation. I've always enjoyed this scene, and I've loved it even more since it was redone for the DVD release with Ian McDermott, and they changed up the dialogue uh, a little bit. So, this has always been uh, a great a great thing to me because Palpatine knows that Vader suspects the truth of who Luke is like uh, Vader doesn't seem to want to admit it. He's not saying it out loud, but Palpatine knows. And that's evidenced by the fact that Vader then, you know, later on in the conversation says, well, Obi-Wan can no longer help him. Like he, he's known what's going on and who the boys connected to and all of this stuff. Obviously, you know, obviously he killed Obi-Wan, uh, and Obi Wan was protecting Luke, but the the idea of 
of Luke's identity uh, is at least suspected by Vader, known by Palpatine, and they're and they're finally talking about it together. And it makes you wonder how long is Vader suspected um, and not told the Emperor, uh, because that conjures up some interesting questions. Uh, but one of the big big things that I like about this scene is that. Luke is referred to as the son of Skywalker, not Anakin, not your son. You know, he's he's not identifying Vader as Anakin specifically. He's mm-hmm. still kind of dangling this over Vader's head like, you know, you, this is a loose end of yours. You're going to have to deal with it. But... uh They've they've both gotten to the point where Anakin is dead and it's just Vader that's left. And so they still speak in that that separation, uh, which I think is is a very interesting thing. Um, And then lastly, you know, this this just speaks to Palpatine and and the way he sees people uh, at the end of it uh, after Vader has presented the idea of. Uh, you know, turning Luke rather than killing him. Uh, Palpatine says that, yes, he could be a great asset. Can it be done? You know, and this is how Palpatine views people as assets. Mm. They're not humans. They're not, they're not, you know, people. Uh, uh, It's, it's just assets. It's pieces to move on a chessboard. You know, the, they benefit him or they detract from his portfolio uh, <laughs> and he just has to figure out who to buy, who to sell, what to cut, what to get rid of, you know, who to, you know, who to buy out, you know, all of this stuff. So th- this is, this is all just Palpatine views himself above everything. He is the ruler of the galaxy and he is all that matters. Uh, and so first Luke is just a nuisance. You got to get rid of him. And now, Oh, he could be a great asset, which means I can upgrade Vader essentially, uh, you know, is the idea perhaps, uh, which is an interesting suggestion that Vader poses in the first place because he knows that's what Palpatine is going to think, you know? Uh, so it's, it's very, it's a very interesting little tete a tete, uh, between Vader and Palpatine. Uh, and it it definitely... I like how it establishes their relationship at this stage. Uh, because it's very, very far from what it was during the prequels. And Palpatine's facade of the kindly father figure to Anakin. Mm. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a good scene. Um, well, and... It, I don't think you follow the comics. I mean, I don't really either, but in one of the early runs of the new Marvel stuff, Vader, Vader does know that it's his son um, in this, at this yeah. point. Now, granted that wasn't, I mean, that doesn't, that's not established in 1980, um, but it's Boba Fett who brings them that information, which I always found a little cheesy, um, but that's be that right. as it may, that is the Canon story now. Um, so it is, it's it, what always strikes me about this scene and it was something Sam Witwer said during a uh, – he did like a live commentary of Empire Strikes Back years ago. Um, and uh, he mentioned how when Admiral Piet comes to Vader and says, the Emperor wishes to speak with you. And Vader's breathing actually stutters for a second. Like, oh, crap, I've been caught. Like, I'm in trouble. <laughs> like, he's been, yeah, right. he's been doing this behind the Emperor's back because – Right. The way of the Sith is to acquire their own apprentice and overthrow the master. So it's funny because you have this cat and mouse game then with them talking and Palpatine referring to him as the son of Skywalker. But he also even when he says, I have no doubt this is the offspring of Anakin Skywalker. Again, it, right. it's by saying it that way, it's 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 detaching Vader from that existence. It's not it's not your son. It's not this is your offspring. It's it's it belongs to someone who's dead. You know, right? Um, and uh, and and 
you know, I mean, conversations like this have been happening for years and I think they're so fun to have, but you know, does, does Vader genuinely care about Luke as his son by saying, well, no, 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 instead of killing him, how about we acquire him, right? Like, well, let, let's, let's, let's get him on our team. Um, and you know, is there a sentimentality to it? I think at this point in the story, no, it's literally Vader want, he understands yeah. that Luke is strong and he wants to train him up so that they can overthrow Palpatine. Period. It's not. Yeah, I love my son. <laughs> you know, I I would definitely agree with you on that. Uh, it's it, it, there's no there's no sentimentality. There's no love here. You know, it, that comes after they start getting in each other's heads at the end of the movie. I would think like that. That's where that begins. Yeah. And uh, Luke Luke then feeds on that and uh, and plays into that. Uh, as we'll see in Return of the Jedi, which yeah. we'll talk about at some point. Right. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'm going to reverse the order I was originally planning on and I'll, and I'll, I'll close out the episode with my number one reason why I love this movie. So I'll start uh, on the opposite end because it, it connects well to this. And one of my absolute favorite things about the Empire Strikes Back is the relentlessness of Vader. Um, mm. The Empire Strikes Back you know, as we've already said at the start of the show, and as I've said many times, is certainly my favorite Star Wars movie. It's also my favorite movie, period. Um, and I think Darth Vader in this movie is, to me, kind of the ideal villain. Like, every time he's on screen, I'm captured. I'm I'm just, I'm, I'm obsessed with what he's up to. I'm, he, I just find him so captivating. And the only other villain who's eaten up screen time in the same way as Vader does in Empire, is the Joker in Dark Knight. Like, to me, those are the, my two favorite villain performances of all time. Vader in Empire, Joker in Dark Knight. I think Vader takes the cake, but still, every time those characters are on screen in those subsequent movies, I'm engaged. Um, and what I love about Vader in this movie is, again, there's just this, this relentless drive to get Luke and to do whatever it takes to get him. And and it drives, all, obviously, a lot of the plot. It's his obsession with capturing the Falcon, his his obsession with getting Luke's friends, it's it's he's not after you at all. He's after somebody called Skywalker, right? Like it's it's not about right. Them. It's not about them in the least. And it kind of to the point you were making a moment ago, Jason, right? Just like Palpatine, Vader sees most people as assets, right? Or as as they're they're things to be moved around. That's certainly something he's learned from Palpatine. So Han yes. and Leia and all of them, they don't mean anything to Vader other than these are pawns I can use to acquire Luke. Um, Absolutely. And I, I, I'll say one of the things uh, Kenobi, the, the, the show Kenobi actually gave me a deeper appreciation for Vader in general in the original trilogy is it really helped me. The, the Kenobi TV series really helped me bridge that gap of Anakin Skywalker, Hayden Christensen is Darth Vader. Like it really, you know, it helped me feel that connection much more profoundly. And mm -hmm. when I'm watching specifically the very first scene we see Vader in, in Empire, right? He's just kind of stalking the bridge. He's, he's like a predator, even right there in that moment, just stalking across the bridge, looking out into the em emptiness of space. That is Anakin, that is so Anakin Skywalker from the Clone Wars, who's just like relentlessly yeah. pursuing somebody like Ahsoka's in trouble. I don't care what the Republic says. I'm going to go get her. Oh, R2's in trouble. Screw it. I'm going to go get him. This is right. now this is that same Anakin Skywalker spirit, but with the might of the Imperial Navy at his beck and call. Right. So like this is this is what Anakin wishes he could probably do a lot of times in Clone Wars and during the prequel era. And now he has kind of. You know, an empty check. He can do whatever the hell he wants to to pursue what he's after, and it makes him really scary because he's got a he's got this drive to just acquire what he wants. And not only does he does he have that that ambition in himself, but he's got all of these endless resources of the empire to use, and nobody can question it. Not really, anyway. Um, so it just makes right. him a really scary villain. Um, and I've used this comparison for other things in Star Wars in the past, but uh, it just reminds me of the Terminator. Like if you've ever seen the original Terminator movie from 1984, there's just I mean, it's programmed to do one thing. 
And that's all it's going to do. Nothing's going to stop it unless you literally destroy it. And that's kind of Vader in Empire. You're not going to stop him from getting to Luke unless you actually kill him. Um, nothing's going to stop him. And it just and that just makes him to me such a scary villain. And the the lengths he goes to, right? I mean, he the the, the torture scene, all of that stuff, freezing Han and carbonite, all of these kind of terrible monster like things he does. It's simply to acquire Luke. Um, so it, it, Empire is such a good movie to me because the villain is so scary, so relentless. Um, and it, it, it's definitely my favorite Vader story um, across uh, across canon as of right now. I just I love the way Vader uh, shows up in this movie. Uh, it's really good. And you, you're right. The 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 word relentless is very accurate and very. Uh, it's it's perfect to really describe him because he is, and and it's not just uh like a relentless determination. It's a relentless um drive. It's a relentless hunger, almost like you know that you're absolutely right in describing him as a predator. Like this mm-hmm. is a a deadly pursuit. You know that there is there's nothing that will stand in his way, not even his own, uh, you know, men. Uh, you know, as we, the dear Admiral Ozel and Captain Nita find out. Uh, you know, when they uh, inadvertently put speed bumps in his way to achieving what he wants, they are tossed aside. Mm. Um, you know, like yeah. discarded assets, if you will. Right. Um, to right. continue that that analogy uh and the pain that he causes han uh physically and by extension you know leia and chewie mentally emotionally uh is nothing to him if it achieves the goal he wants yeah which is to bring luke there yeah and he knows luke cares about them and that's all that matters so he'll use them the full extent he can yeah and it's worth noting, even in the opening crawl of Empire, we're told Vader obsessed with finding Skywalker. Obsessed is the word they use. And it's per- it's the perfect word, yeah. right? Um, yes. His obsession drives that relentlessness. Yeah. And, and which is why he offers the, uh, the idea of turning Luke rather than killing him because mm-hmm. he... He, that's what he's been pursuing because as you said, he's, he, you know, the idea of perhaps, you know, training him in order to take out the emperor is probably very high on his mind right now. Uh, he hasn't had a better chance at this bef- than, than right now. So he's going to take advantage of it. So, which is why he's going to do everything he can to ensure that possibility still exists. Uh, fending off the emperor on one hand and hunting down his prey with the other. So mm-hmm. it's, I love the word. It's relentless. Yeah. So that's awesome. What stands out next for you from empire? Oh, um, I'm going to, I'm going to go to this, that this is one of my favorite things about this movie is this is Chewie's best movie. Mm. Um, and, I always like when when a uh, secondary character or a, a supporting character, excuse me, um, especially one who doesn't speak English or basic, as you, if you will, uh, gets gets their moment to shine. Uh, Irving Kirshner just did a spectacular spectacular job developing Chewbacca and giving him moments on his own to act and to. Uh, to breathe and to for us to to read into his thoughts and feel his emotions uh, throughout this movie. Um, the the highlight moments for me, of course, are when the shield doors close and he lets out that howl of anguish as Han and Luke are closed out of the rebel base in the freezing night of Hoth. Um, when he's sitting there in the prison repairing 3PO and he's mm. takes that moment to, you know, alas, poor Yorick, I knew him well uh, with 
uh, with 3PO's head and, you know, uses putting his friend back together as a, as a way to kind of calm his nerves uh, as everything terrible is going on around them. And then of course, you know, the outburst when Han is about to be put into carbonite that Han has to talk him down from. So it's, it's such a good, good movie for Chewbacca and you really get to feel the loyalty and the love and the, uh, devotion of Chewbacca to Han and then by extension to Luke and Leia as well, you know, because they're now all connected. Uh, and, you know, Chewie has some great moments in some of the other movies, uh, but this is by far the, move, the movie that he shines the most in. And uh, I, I do love the fact that, that we get to take such, you know, careful time with a character like Chewbacca uh, because it makes some really good moments and uh, just brings warm feelings to my heart <laughs> to quote Yoda. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's one of the things I love about this movie is that it is Chewie's best movie and he has some fantastic scenes in it. Yeah. It, he's great in this. Um, I think one of my favorite Chewbacca moments ever is just that moment when Luke stops by the Falcon to say goodbye before the battle of Hoth and Chewie yes. just grabs him and pulls him into that hug. Um, Cause like you said, I, I think so much of the movie is really showcasing his loyalty and devotion to Han, but a little moment like that is also really important that it's, it's not just Han. Like he really cares about Luke and Leia as well. Um, right. And, and the way he just pulls them in and even three PO, I mean, he, you know, when three PO gets separated from the group, when they arrive on cloud city, he's the one that chooses to split off from the group to go looking for him. And he's the one, mm-hmm. you know, who's, who's really heartbroken and, and that he's in these pieces and, and is determined to put him back together. Um, yeah, you know, and it's funny because, you know, George has always been very clear that one of the inspirations for Chewbacca was his own dog, Indiana, that used to ride shotgun with him in his car. Um, right. And, and Chewie has a bit of that. You know, the reason people love dogs or love having their pet dog is because dogs are very loyal, right? They're a pack animal. They're, they're really beholden to, to their, to their people. Um, and, and Chewie certainly embodies that a lot more explicitly in empire than in, in any of the other movies. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I like that because it, but he's, he's not just a dog, right? He's not just the right. family dog. He's also a person and, and, and has these feelings. Um, I'm a person and my name's Chewbacca. Um, <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I love that that's, that's so big to you. Uh, cause it, I think, right. I mean, one of the crowning achievements of empire that it, that it pushed forward with from a new hope A new hope is a really fun adventure story. And then empire really takes the time to flush these characters out a bit more. Um, and mm-hmm. like you said, a supporting character like Chewbacca, I mean, you could have just left him in the background as, is kind of the, the, uh, the bruiser in the group who, who kind of protects them, but you really get the sensibility of how much he cares about everybody. Um, so yeah. yeah, I love that. He, he wears his heart on his sleeve and it's big, uh, uh, big enough for everybody, so for sure, yeah. Oh, so good. Right. Um, What's yeah. next on your list for me? Uh, I want to point out the locations. I absolutely love the places mm. we go in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Hoth, Dagobah, and Cloud City are probably three. They're they're easily in my top five Star Wars locations of all time. Um, every single world in Empire. I feel a profound connection to. I mean, some of them are based in the nostalgia of of growing up with this movie. Um, but like Hoth specifically, like I, I grew up in upstate New York where we got lots of snow every winter. And I have so many fond memories of being outside with my, my two brothers and digging snow trenches in, in the backyard and turning it into we'd throw water on the benches so they'd freeze over. And it was like, yeah, this is the, the computer's an echo base. And in the backyard on the hill, we had a little toboggan that I used to imagine was a T-47 snowspeeder. We was racing down the hill as imaginary AT-ATs were chasing us. Uh, so there's such a fondness for for Hoth because of that, because I, I lived in a climate that was very Hoth-like for a few months of the year. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's there's also like I also love how Hoth serves the story. Um, and this was something I was actually thinking about, and I'd never thought about this before. And I'm sure other folks have who are much brighter than myself. But it really struck me that Hoth, you know, the fact that the rebel the rebel army is hiding there. It's very similar to Valley Forge, right, during the American Revolution, mm. where the American army yeah. kind of camped out in this very wintry, snowy place. Um, and it was there was this sense of almost hopelessness. Um, but you're you're kind of clinging on, just trying to keep the army alive so you can keep the fight going. And that's kind of what Hoth represents. It's I mean, th- this frozen planet is is kind of in your face symbolism for, you know, things are kind of cold right now. Things are like they have to hide out and they're doing it in a place that's inhospitable. Um, so Hoth really represents the desperation of the of the rebellion at this stage of the story. Uh, so I, I appreciate it for that that element of its storytelling. Um, and as yeah, I, you're right. I, I'd never, I'd never made that connection before, too. But now that you've you've made that connection, I will never view Hoth the same way again. Thank you very much. <laughs> you're, you're quite welcome. <laughs> um, well, let's see if I can get you to turn around a bit on Dagobah, because uh, we've had this conversation a lot over the years. <laughs> uh, Dagobah is my favorite planet in Star Wars. Uh, is is, and I'm sure if in if I was really on Dagobah, I'm sure I would hate it. Like a a muggy, swampy planet that rains a lot, I'm sure is not ideal. But again, I, I love Dagobah for the way it, it exists in the story. It's it's this planet that is kind of mysterious. I mean, there's fog everywhere. There's there's this sense of what's going on behind everything. I mean, there's there is no technology. It's it's Luke entering the wilderness, right? Which is um, you know, I mean that's in in the language of scripture, when somebody enters the wilderness, it essentially means they encounter their truest self and they also encounter the divine in a very profound way that 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 encourages this really profound growth. And and that's what Dagobah represents. And I think the way it looks helps serve that purpose. That it's it's a very alive planet. And it's it's there's almost a primordial sensibility to it, right? Like like Naboo is a very beautiful organic space. So is so is um Endor. But Dagobah, it's almost like because it's a swamp planet, it's almost like a space where life is just coming into existence. Like there's this sense of primordial out of this this muck and this mud comes primitive life. And there's something very wonderful about it. Um, so uh, and again, huge credit to John Williams for the music you know that he composes for Yoda, because the Yoda music is almost... Uh, it, it gives you a weird sensibility because when you look at Dagobah, it does. It looks like this inhospitable, almost like scary place. And right as soon as Luke lands there, like a big monster eats R2. <laughs> um, but there's this very <laughs> playful, you know, mystical music for Yoda attached here. So that's always drawn me to the planet, too, is, is something here is important, like in the mystery, in the fog and in the mist in the mud of this, you encounter your truest self and, and there's an opportunity for real growth into the person you're supposed to be. And that's, that's what we see happen for Luke. Um, so I absolutely love Dagobah. I think one of the interesting things about it, um, and, and you're right. It, as far as the story is concerned and the way it's used in the story, it's brilliant. It's, it's fantastic. I just would never want to visit there by choice, um, you know, as a leisure spot, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the it's almost too full of life in a way, you know, uh, and and it is the exact opposite kind of planet from where Luke is from. Luke is yeah. from Tatooine, which is full of sand. And it's dry and arid, and there's almost no clouds in the sky. You know, it's it's bright blue sky because the suns are beating down all the time. It's so shrouded in mist and fog, uh, and it's too wet. It's so wet that the ground is a swamp because it's too soaked, and there's so much uh, water and, and foliage that you can't, you know, you can't build the cities here. <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's so opposite of Tatooine. So I think that's that's an important point to note. So, mm, yeah. Um, 
Uh, and then, of course, Cloud City. Uh, Bespin, Cloud City. Cloud City specifically is just – it's this very beautiful space, uh, right? It's meant to be a, a safe haven. Um, and at first when we get there, everything is light. The colors are very light and bright and gives this sense of warmth um, and safety. And what I love is as, as things start going awry and we kind of go deeper and deeper into the pits of Cloud City – you know, uh, George himself is often described as this is kind of like going down into hell. Um, and I, mm-hmm. the carbon freezing chamber is probably my favorite set piece in Star Wars, partly just because I just love the colors, the orange and the blues of uh, 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 and I think I remember Joe Hogan telling me once, you know, these are their opposite colors on the on the color wheel. Um, and uh, I just I, I love that journey again, like all of the locations in Cloud City. I feel like really serve the story. And I think that's true of a lot of the Star Wars movies. The locations embody something about where the story is. Uh, and I really love mm-hmm. that. And, and, and Cloud City starts as this, this safe space, this place to go to be uh, – to finally find some relief and comfort. And then as we find out the, what the truth of this place is – uh, it's, it's hell itself, <laughs> you know, as we, we make our way all the way into the pits, um, w- we find that it's, it's not everything we were hoping it would be. Um, but all that yeah. to say, I mean, I just still love cloud city. It, 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 it's just such a, it's such a perfect star Wars space. Um, everything about it, um, it, it feels real. It looks real, but it also feels like it's from a galaxy far, far away. Um, you know, and and we obviously talked a little bit, uh, uh, you know, last week when we were talking about the, our season one Andor recap, and I think one of the things Andor has done a not so great job is, is sometimes their settings and their props and stuff look just way too much like something right out of our world. Cloud City to me is a perfect example of like these things look real, but they look Star Wars real. Um, just just something yeah. about them that feels a little bit from a galaxy far, far away. And, and, and I love Cloud City for that. Yeah, no, it's it's really great. Uh, the, the locations are so, you know, serve the story perfectly and to the and so well that they've become iconic. Mm-hmm. You know, Hoth, Dagobah, Cloud City are all iconic locations in Star Wars. Um, you know, the, there are so many iconic moments from this movie uh, for story reasons and, you know, uh, other reasons. But, you know, the locations definitely help to create the environment where those moments can can thrive. So, yeah, I would totally agree that locations are are beautifully done in this movie yeah um absolutely so well what 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 about you what what next for well uh we're we're gonna skip ahead to the end movie real quick because i I think one of the things i really do appreciate and love about the empire strikes back is that while it's been this relentless chase of our heroes and we you know the rebels lost on hoth our heroes lost on Cloud City. Han is, you know, in limbo. We have no idea what's going to happen to him at the end of the movie. Um, everything that Luke lost his hand and found out Vader was his father. Uh, you know, everything that could have gone wrong has just about gone wrong. And yet, we still end on a moment and a, a feeling of hope. Uh, as you know, Luke, Leia, uh, Han, uh, not Han, uh, <laughs> not Lando, Han. Chewie, <laughs> not Han, uh, Lando, <laughs> Chewie, R2 and 3PO are there, uh, on the, the medical frigate and in the Millennium Falcon. They're safe. They're, they're finally safe and like can stop to catch their breath for the first time this entire movie. And they all seem to have a determined purpose for what the next step is. Um, They're not letting the terrible uh, tragedy of of the past few days 
stop them. They're not wallowing in self-pity or uh, despair. They're, they're going to come out stronger and they have a goal in mind. And it is uh, most specifically to get Han back. You know, that's, that's the goal in mind that we see there as Chewie and Lando fly away in the Falcon and the others watch them out the, the bay window of the medical frigate. Uh, it's, it's telling us they'll be all right and they know what they're doing or they know where they're going. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's, Without that kind of a very solid, hopeful ending, this movie could have, you know, it could have been, uh, I I think you need need this kind of solid, hopeful ending to punctuate all the terrible things that happened in the movie to make them matter, but still say that our heroes won't let it stop them. Mm -hmm. So. And I think that's one of the things I really do love and appreciate about this movie. And George Lucas does a similar thing in Revenge of the Sith, um, obviously with the the twins. Um, and I think he kind of finds a way to to rhyme the end of Revenge of the Sith with Empire uh, because it kind of did it first, if you will. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's so funny. And, oh, good. And I'm always one for uh, for hope. So <laughs> hope is a big deal to me in life and in my stories. So, <laughs> well, it's certainly been a big Star Wars theme for Disney for the, its first several years. I don't think you had uh, a scene in Rogue One that doesn't mention hope. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but funny enough, Jason, that was the next element I wanted to also uh, highlight for my love of Empire is this theme of enduring hope. Um, because I think Empire Strikes Back was a very bold movie in 1980 to end with defeat. I mean, there's, there's really no victories. Um, there's no overt victories. The victory of Empire Strikes Back is survival. Um, and, and I think that's worth noting is, uh, part of what, what guides their hope is, and it, and it starts all the way at the beginning, right? The only, the big battle of Empire Strikes Back is over 35 minutes into the movie. You know, the Battle of Hoth is, is a defeat. They are fleeing and the rest of the story is, uh, is just, it's kind of this personal story of Luke and then Han and Leia trying to escape. Um, but I've always loved the scene in the Battle of Hoth, it's kind of the end when they, they're issuing the retreat order and you hear the troops shouting, retreat, fall back, and they're jumping down into the trenches and jumping up over the other side. And you have this really kind of mournful statement of the force theme. And I always find it really interesting that it's the force theme that's being played there. It's To me, it's, it's, it's musically, John Williams is telling us in that moment that the victory here for the rebellion is survival. It's them escaping, them, them, you know, not surrendering or not all just fighting till the last man. Them retreating is a victory, um, and there's hope in that because you know the spark stays alive, um, and uh, it's it's such a huge theme of this movie, and right from the beginning, and then like you said, all the way to the end, that that closing scene. Um, I love the way Billy D. Williams delivers the line. Princess will find Han. I promise. Like it, yeah. you just believe him. You believe him. Yes, they're going to find him. And even Luke will reach at the rendezvous point on Tatooine. <laughs> you know, it, there's yeah. there's that yeah. that that youthful optimism of Luke Skywalker even in that scene. Um, even though everyone has lost, they hold yeah. on to the fact that because they're together, they're going to do this. And again, going back to speaking about this from the musical aspect. John Williams is playing the Han and Leia love theme as this as the movie essentially closes out right before the credits roll to me, which is the musical telling of this love story isn't over that that it is the in fact that the love of these friends is what binds them together and what's going to lead them to victory. Um, exactly. So, yeah. And, and I think and I think Jason, like you and I are both pointing this out, and I think so many folks 
the reason that Empire Strikes Back is so beloved and is often a lot of people's favorite Star Wars movie, I think really is centered in the fact that it's a movie about hope. It's a movie about reflecting on the reality that you can lose a lot, but it doesn't mean you've lost. Right. And I think that's what Empire says is you can lose, lose, lose. You can lose all the battles you want. But if you stick together, you can win it all. Um, and I think that's what Empire's all about. Hope in the darkest of circumstances. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it's funny because, you know, episode four is called A New Hope. But this is this is also a new kind of hope here at the end of Empire. Uh, as Because things were, were going very well in A New Hope. Things are not going so well here. And yet this hope is almost more powerful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Love it. Yeah. Well, what do you, what do you got for us next? Well, um, one of my favorite things about the empire strikes back is the subtle way and sometimes not so subtle way that urban Kirshner excuse me, weaves humor into this movie. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. Um, obviously, we get some stuff early on with the whole why you stuck up half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder scene and 3PO rushing up from the background of the shot <laughs> as Leia kisses Luke, you know, to get a closer look. Um, when, uh, when the Millennium Falcon is inside the asteroid and... Uh, Leia has just had her run in with the Minoc and she rushes back and says, there's something out there. And Han and Chewie both look up at the same time with the goggles on. It's just sort of some visual humor, which I always love that scene. That shot is, is gets me every time. Um, R2 versus Yoda on Dagobah <laughs> with the, the lamp is just a, a hilarious scene to think of an astromech. And the greatest Jedi master of the past century or millennia, perhaps, uh, fighting over a lamp in the swamp is just an amusing picture. Um, <laughs> so the the fact that while and, – and this is deliberate. This is very deliberate because and, – and, of course, there's other moments too. But it's very deliberate because we're dealing with a movie of defeats of a series of defeats and intense uh, chases and, you know, everyone feeling on edge and worrying about what's going to happen next. We have to have these moments of levity so that we're not just beaten down by the intensity of Vader's pursuit the entire time. So the, the humor is not only very strategically woven through the movie to, to keep us, balanced throughout the story and to keep us open to the ups and downs and the, the roller coaster that is the empire strikes back. But it's also humor that fits and plays so well for me personally, um, that it, it gets me every time. And I forget, you know, I, I forgot some of these moments and had to be reminded of some of these moments watching it again. I was like, Oh yes, this is part of why I like this movie so much. Um, so, (laughs) I, I I had to make sure that I, I talked about the humor in this movie because and three PO three PO gets a lot of it you know the the never tell me the odds stuff you know three PO always trying to to give the odds and finally getting shut shut down uh, and all that stuff so it's it's great and it it's my kind of humor. So I love it, and it's one of my favorite parts of Empire Strikes Back <laughs> is just the humor sprinkled through through the whole thing. Yeah, it, I mean the point you made, you know, that the movie is it, it's a series of defeats, so you almost need some sense of levity to to, to keep you buoyed during it. And and again, I'm sure several folks who are listening has, have probably watched all sorts of behind the scenes things with Irvin Kershner, and he's very, I mean, he. I can't remember exactly which it might be an empire of dreams. I don't remember, but in one of the many documentaries about around empire, 
uh, Irvin Kirshner said, like, I, I was very intentional about adding humor to this and I didn't want it to be slapstick. You know, I wanted it to be, and, and that's the thing is like, to me, empire has like, it, it has enduring humor. It's not like this low hanging yes. fruit. Like a lot of comedies today, like a lot of rom-coms and this isn't an indictment of them, but a lot of them just kind of have like, it's a type of thing that you see and you laugh at it the first time, but it doesn't necessarily make you laugh subsequently. Um, and I think, right. I think that's some of the failures of the last Jedi's humor is some of the, like the, your mama joke. Like that's not, that's, that's pretty cheap humor in my opinion. Like it's not very clever. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, I laughed the first time I saw it, but now I'm just like, oh, that's just stupid. <laughs> um, but scruffy looking nerf herder, like you can laugh at that for years. You can laugh at Yoda fighting an uh, R2 over a lamp, right? Like it's kind of yes. this enduring humor. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, 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 it sprinkles something into the kind of the darkness of this story to, to, mm-hmm. and I would say that those are almost the sprinkles of a new hope because a new hope is a very kind of light and fun movie. Even if, even if it's not mm-hmm. particularly funny, it's fun. And I think the, the elements of a new hope that kind of get sprinkled onto empire is, is the humor. It's, it's, this is still that fun galaxy that our heroes can still have fun together, even in the face of dire circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. I I 100% agree with that. And Urban Kirshner, like I said, he he get I don't want to say he gets my sense of humor because I was not alive when he was directing this movie, but <laughs> um I was not born yet. Uh but his sense of humor for The Empire Strikes Back lines up with my personal sense of humor very well. Uh and it it always tickles me just in the right spot. So, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a very Jason thing to highlight from this movie, and I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's a Carl thing to highlight from this movie then? <laughs> well, I'll get, it, I'll get it really on the nose. I think probably my favorite element of Empire Strikes Back um, is the fact that it's, to me, the most spiritual Star Wars movie. Um, Rogue One is has a lot of beautiful spirituality, but to me, Empire at its heart um, is an incredibly spiritual story. And, and I use the word spiritual, not religious. <laughs> um, cause I don't, it, the original trilogy was never trying to sell a particular religion, but it was no. trying to in, in, invite people into a curiosity around spirituality. And anybody who disagrees with that is flat wrong. I'm just going to say it right now. Cause I know there are people out there that get really a, like a mad when you bring up like that star Wars is a spiritual story. They're like, it's not spiritual at all. And it's like, listen to George. He says it all the time. Um, yes. but it empire, you know, in everything about the Dagobah stuff, everything with Yoda, it's, it is incredibly a spiritual story and it's, and its main theme in its spirituality is the importance of believing in yourself and trusting in something beyond yourself. So again, and I think that that's, it's broad and vague on purpose. Um, you know, whether that's a trust in a belief in some sort of divine reality or just a trust in a belief in society and, and, in, and in culture and in people and in, in, in organizations, whatever that may be. Empire Strikes Back invites people to have belief in themselves and into something beyond themselves. Um, and I was thinking about it as I was making my notes the other day that I feel like because, again, George wrote the movie, even though he didn't direct it. I almost feel like he's doing a little bit of a meta reflection on his own experience with making a new hope. He believed in himself. He believed in the story he was telling and look what happened. I mean, right. It was a movie that people were laughing off the, the, uh, um, you know, the, the Fox studios. studios, Yeah. Didn't really believe in it. They're like, fine, we'll put it out, but we're pretty sure it's going to be a mess. George believed Mm -hmm. in it. He believed in the story he was telling and it was, you know, possibly the, one of the most successful stories ever told in human history. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so I almost feel like George it, kind of in, in infusing this spiritual sense of self-belief into empire is a, is a, is a reflection on his own experience of, of believing in himself with making a new hope. Um, and yes, American graffiti was successful, but star Wars was something different. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, he changed the world with that story and, and it came from a belief and it became from a, a faith in himself. Uh, so I, I love that that is a core element of empire strikes back. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it also does like, like I was saying, you know, it, it calls, 
an awareness to the fact that there is something more than what we can see and touch, right? Yoda's, you know, you know, luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. It's it's this sensibility that in at least the world of Star Wars, and whether you want to make it part of your world is up to you, but in the world of Star Wars, that there is something more than just flesh and blood, that the, the, the tangible things we can see and touch, but there's something that exists in between those spaces, this spiritual mm-hmm. reality that we call the force. Um, and, and, and somebody can have a connection to it if they put in the work, if they put in the discipline to really let themselves connect to it. And that's, that's all Yoda is trying to teach Luke is how to quiet his own mind and believe in his ability to touch that. Um, and I think another central teaching from empire that is so important to me is that message of unlearn what you have learned. It's, it's this spiritual message of letting go of things that impede your growth, that impede you from stepping into a deeper sense of self, into a, a, a deeper reality of, of the wonder of who you are. Um, I think that is what Empire is also trying to teach us. Uh, it, it's this profoundly beautiful message. Um, and uh, for everybody who watched A New Hope in 1977 and wanted to be a Jedi with a lightsaber because Ben Kenobi was so cool with it and Luke could deflect blaster bolts from a, from a remote, in order to become a Jedi, you, you have to almost believe in the Force because Yoda says a Jedi's strength flows from the Force. So again, like mm-hmm. the, that, that, that sense of being the hero comes from a connection to something bigger than yourself. And again, I want to make it very clear that it's vague what that could be. And I think it's intentionally vague because you can assign what that greater thing is, you know, whether you want to consider it divine or not, I think is totally up to you. Um, But there is at its core empire is saying there's something beyond you. And you can touch it, you can connect to it, and it can make you grow into something you never thought possible. Yeah, absolutely. And just to sort of put the cherry on top of that point, the last thing I wanted to bring up was just the mystery of the forest. Mm. You know, and that's that's such a big part of this movie, as you were saying, you know, that just we learn a lot about the force in this movie. Um, because if you just if you go from a new hope into empire. And even to some extent, if you go through the prequels into empire, you know, a little bit, you know, some, but you don't know what the force is in and of itself until you get here really. And even through Yoda's explanations, it just shows you how much bigger the force is on the other side of that knowledge. Bigger than than what Yoda's explanations are. His explanations help to contextualize and help to shape and help us to to frame what the Force is uh, in in this this galaxy far far away. Uh, it gives us a feeling for it and an sensing of it, but it doesn't encompass it. Uh, there, the Force is still bigger and more mysterious through that ex- explanation, not in spite of it. So. And I think that's one of the, the the fascinating things about this movie is that it gives answers, but leaves you with more questions than you had to begin with mm. when it comes to the Force. So, um, and and I love that that aspect about it, and the fact that you know, the fact that you can have a Jedi like Yoda live for almost nine hundred years and still be learning things about the Force all these centuries later. You know, it's a it's a never ending learning process, learning journey. Um, and you're right; it is something bigger and something outside of who you are that you are able to connect to and to walk with and to be guided by. Uh, and and that's a beautiful and amazing thing. Uh, and something that uh, I think was crucial for the time in which it was released and something that I think uh, would be a nice reminder to have come back into our current society now. So um, it's always nice to have a reminder that, that there can be something bigger out there that you can believe in and, 
have have guide you mm-hmm. uh, outside of yourself. Yeah. So it's comforting. Yeah. If strain. Yeah. And, so. and, and, and just to kind of piggyback, because I like the way you put that, Jason, is um, that there is something you can connect to. Because I think that's the important thing. It's not just an empty belief that like, okay, the force is out there. I believe that it's there. But Empire is saying it's there and you can experience it. You can encounter it. You can touch it. Um, uh, and I think that's, that's just as important as believing that it's there, believing that it's there is one thing, but believing that you can interact with it is profoundly more important. And I think that's what Yoda is trying to teach Luke. And by extension, us as viewers is there is a, there is something bigger than you and you can encounter it. Um, Luke says, I don't believe it. And Yoda replies, that is why you fail, you know? Right. It's right there. It's yep. right there in the dialogue. So. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, well, the last thing I'm going to mention then to close this out, Jason, is uh, I love Empire Strikes Back because it was my introduction to Star Wars. Um, it, you know, and, and it's funny how many folks that I know who, who kind of grew up in the same time period as I did, right? Like got into Star Wars in the mid 90s, which, you know, was considered, quote unquote, the dark times. Um, a lot of, a lot of my peers also were introduced to star Wars through empire, like didn't see a new hope first, but actually saw empire first. Um, the first, the first time I saw that movie, and this is the weird thing, Jason, like, I can't tell you exactly when it was. And I also know that I did see it in two parts. Like I watched half of it in the evening and then my cousin and I got up and finished it in the morning. So I do know that I didn't even watch it in its entirety, but I knew that as I watched it. I found myself being transported into a different world. And again, all the other things that I was fascinated by and loved as a child, they were great. They were a lot of fun. But Star Wars just took me to a different place. It took me into this new reality, and I just found myself lost in it. Um, and to this day, every maybe like, I'll be real. Obviously, not every single time I watch Empire does this happen. I mean, I've watched this movie hundreds of times in, in the 20 years I've been a Star Wars fan. Um, longer than that, actually. But it doesn't matter. Um, so, yes, not every single time. But at the end of the day, Empire Strikes Back, it was, it was it's my first kiss, right? Like, you, you never forget your first kiss. Like, no matter what, even if it was, like, not a good one, like, you still remember it. Not only <laughs> do I remember Empire because it was the first, it was a great one, <laughs> you know? And and that it's impossible to forget. And, and I think even to this day when I turn on Empire, especially when I'm just like, I need to watch Empire – the reason that I often go to it is because this is the Star Wars movie that fills me with wonder and it fills my imagination. Um, and for several of the things I talked about, right, the, the locations, they, they, they are imaginative worlds that I can still get lost in. Um, it's this story about hope that, you know, in light of like if I'm going through a lot of crap in life, like I can turn on Empire and be like, all right, everybody just lost. And yet they clung to each other. And they're going to be okay. And it's, you know, that's a message that's universal and timeless and never ending and always necessary. So Empire continues to be that story that lifts me up, that makes me feel comforted, that reminds me that my own personal spiritual journey is one that's worth embarking on. Um, It reminds me to constantly unlearn the boxes I put myself in and that I put others in to let go of those things and to, to always be open to being lost in wonder and being amazed by things I didn't think were possible. And the scene that encapsulates that to me is Yoda lifting that X-Wing, that shot, the music soaring. And we get the shot from far away of the X-Wing just kind of coming into the foreground. Luke is in the center underneath it. Yoda is off to the side. It's just this beautiful scene of being lost in something you didn't think was possible. And that's what empire to this day still means to me is that nothing is impossible. Um, that if you, if you really put your, your heart and soul into something, um, even if it doesn't pan out the way you were expecting, it'll pan out. Um, and, and I love empire for that. It means so much to me. Um, I mean, it means a lot to me because of those themes, but it's also because it introduced me into a world. I wanted to get lost in it introduced me to a family of friends that I wanted to be friends with. And by extension, because of this love affair with star Wars through empire, I have a beautiful family of star Wars friends that I wouldn't have had if it weren't for the empire strikes back. 
Um, so I absolutely love the hell out of this movie and that will never change. That's awesome. That's amazing. And I think that's the perfect point to end on and start wrapping up this episode. <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to ruin that moment. That's, that's perfect. So, um, yes, this everyone is why we love the empire strikes back. <laughs> And uh, why we're we're doing this uh, this March to episode 500 of our podcast. So, uh, Carl, if people want to weigh in on why they love The Empire Strikes Back, uh, where can people do that? Yeah, well, we uh, we have our set up home base echo base on on Instagram nowadays. So you can follow us there at the Wampas Lair. Uh, we're still on Twitter at Wampas Lair, and you can always email us at wampaslairpodcast at gmail.com. Excellent. And anything else you want to say before we close down this episode? Uh, just, I'm so excited for the, the next few weeks, Jason, as we, we, we make our way to 500. I just, this is exactly why I love doing Star Wars shows with you. Like, just talking about what we love. <laughs> this is what it's all about, my friend. It's it's really great and and wonderful. Uh, truly wonderful as the mind of a child is. And it's <laughs> the way I get to go back and look at Star Wars every time I talk with you. Well, not just a child, but a lot of times. And that, everyone, is uh, going to be it for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 495 of the Wampus Lair podcast, Why We Love the Empire Strikes Back. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time as we continue this march to 500 here in the Wampa's Lair. <laughs>